0: Welcome to this ground up. The World Wide Web has brought a quiet revolution that is impacting individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, in cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short referred to as CGS. Now when the World Wide Web fundamentally transforms the way we communicate, it is becoming increasingly clear that it has brought us not only much needed connectivity across CGS, but also an explosion in information sharing capabilities through social networking between individuals and entities across NGIO. As individuals and entities take a step forward in how they communicate, interact, socialize, manage, govern, conduct business, and deliver digital services, there is a need for caution as worldwide web, web infrastructure, websites, and web applications have been, and are becoming more vulnerable to security challenges. Evaluating the security risk of web application is now a necessity. Along with the security of the web application themselves, there is also a need for more focus on the security of the underlying computer network, operating systems, and host servers. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Jason Ken from Qualys. Jason is the Vice President of Product Management, Web Application Security at Qualys. Welcome, Jason. We are delighted to have you on this ground
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Wonderful, Jason. So it is reported that there are over thousands of cyber attacks happening every single day across nations, hundreds of attacks every hour and nearly few attacks every minute. Either somebody's identity is getting stolen, or somebody's confidential data is stolen or someone falls prey to financial loss or reputation or character assassination as a result of the ongoing cyber crimes. So the question is when so many cyber crimes are occurring across nations and all its components, does web application play a role here?
1: Yeah, it does. And uh, what we're seeing with a lot of the the largest breaches out there, the, the biggest data loss that we've seen Um, usually comes from a web application attack. Uh, Also, the proliferation of malware today uh, is spread around by web servers that have been taken over. So if you look at the the Verizon Data Breach Incident Report, uh, which is the the cornerstone report that talks about web application security, um, you'll see that there were, last year, 2015, there were about 2,200 organizations that had data leave their network. Um, and 40% of those attacks happened through the website. The rest were either malicious insiders or um, some kind of dropped malware that allowed for somebody to become an insider. But that 40%, if we just focus on that number, um, it really tells a, a big story. But when you step aside from that number and look at, 20,000 web servers taken over to just spread malware so that we can get into more organizations, you see that the web creates an attack surface that's so large, uh, most organizations just don't understand how to rein it in, right, and really understand how to secure it. Yes, yes absolutely, and that
0: is a large number. You are absolutely right about that. now security vulnerabilities could compromise not only the financial situation or security or survivability of any individual or entity across GIO, but it could also jeopardize the future sustainability. Now with millions of cyber attacks, uh, cyber crime, cyber attacks happening every single day, cyber crime seems to be a real threat to anyone using computers or smartphones or tablets or internet of things or any other gadgets on the web. Now, as you just you mentioned, there are almost half of all the breaches involved web applications. So what are the top web application vulnerabilities you see? What are those entry points that you see that are you know allowing this kind of uh, security threats?
1: So the, the, if you look at OWASP, OWASP, tra- OWASP tracks this by a top 10. They develop a top 10 every year, and the top three Um, have to do with compromising a website in a way that either tricks a user. um, So we do cross-site scripting or cross-site request forgery that's tricking a user into doing something, um, but they don't realize that it's happening, so it's happening in the background. Um, Or it's direct injected attacks toward a database. So uh, you present me with a login page. uh, I can use that login page to exfiltrate all of the usernames and passwords sitting in the database behind it. Uh, that's called a SQL injection attack or an injection attack. The danger there is you know you you're going to lose all of that data and you're going to have to go reset everybody's passwords. That's going to be no fun. But the real danger is the humans that put the um, usernames and passwords in probably reuse those usernames and passwords in other places. And so now you've got a list of compromisable uh, individuals out there. So what we when we look at the kinds of cyber crime that are coming down the line and the sorts of things that we need to pay attention to, those three at the top of the OWASP list are really important. And there's something that we have to have a tremendous amount of focus for. And the reality is most organizations, big enterprises, banks, insurance companies, they'll pay attention to that one website, the one that you go log into. Um, But I work with organizations that have 10,000 applications Um, You can't just focus on one when you have 10,000. You have to focus on everyone.
0: Yes, that is very true. Now, security threats seems to be multiplying all across nations and they're targeting all its components as we've been talking. Now, serious damage is inflicted by criminals who manipulate cyberspace vulnerabilities against the user systems. That is, it could be individuals or entities that are not proactive, prepared, or protected. Now the number of security incidents are growing faster than security professionals can compute, and the consequences seems to be very frightful. So I mean that is it fair to say that the preferred method for attacking assets in cyberspace or geospace is via applications?
1: Yeah, well we're seeing, I mean, we see a lot of that, right? Um what we're trying to get everybody to understand is that uh, the sensitivity of the data that we're proliferating around the world um, needs to be understood that you're not just holding someone's name right you have their personal identity you have all of the things that you need to establish credit uh, take things out of banks (laughs) you know all of the different um, reasons why you would want to do identity theft i mean there's a ton of things around it so When we look at this, it has to be uh, one of those things that cybersecurity and focus on web application security uh, needs to grow. We're seeing huge challenges with it, though. There aren't that many professionals in the world that understand these things.
0: Yes, very true. Now, it seems that software security, application security, and network security is currently a never-ending battle as new criminal players emerge every day and new methods of cyber attacks are increasing in frequency, sophistication, or severity. Keeping up with the latest developments focused on security vulnerability or security is proving very challenging. So what should individuals and entities across NGIA understand about security when they talk about web applications?
1: Yeah, so... You know, ever vigilant, right? That, that, that needs to be the, the theme that we all go after is to constantly look for things. Um, you need to get, if you're a big enterprise and you're trying to rein this problem in, you've got to have good vendors that have a good understanding of this stuff. You've got to have great folks inside that have a good understanding. The most passionate information security professionals out there are constantly learning, constantly doing research, constantly trying to find the next thing before the next guy does. We're always challenged with, especially in web security, uh, a new technology will come down the line. A great example of this is Angular. Uh, Angular is a JavaScript uh, language or framework um, that allows you to build really nice front ends. Uh, It was developed by Google. The idea was it would be completely secure, uh, and we've heard that a million times. Um, Last January, a security researcher that a lot of us in the web community know uh, found a way to break the security in Angular. Um, that became a really huge problem just simply because the developers adopted it thinking that it was a secure platform and did no further study, did no additional um, steps to ensure that security. And then when it breaks, everybody's in a, in a real tight spot because now they have all this stuff deployed uh, and they have to unwind all of it and try to figure out how to, how to solve that problem. Um, so when we see these new technologies come out to make it easier for the human to interact with our application or easier to build an application, oftentimes it injects security problems uh, as you build it.
0: Yes, very true. Now, security is fundamentally about protecting assets in cyberspace, space and space. Now, when we focus on cyberspace, assets could be a web page. It could be a customer database, as you uh, talked, you know, a few minutes before, or it could be a back-end database or web connectivity or reputation. Now, as web infrastructure and applications are defined, identified, installed, or analyzed, how are potential security threats and its associated risk identified, evaluated, understood, and managed at this point, you know, across uh, uh, entities, depending on whichever industries you know they are part of?
1: Yeah, and that's uh, that's a race I've been chasing at Qualys now for uh, going on five years. We've developed tools and products that allow for you to, to uh, kind of rein all that in and, and understand it um, and then run security testing on your entire infrastructure. And it's a great thing that you pointed out. Assets can be anything. And what we're seeing a lot more of now is organizations that, that go to rapid development. I'll say the cloud, right? Um, So they're in AWS, they're in Azure, they're in all the different type of cloud environments that you can get into, um, and they build application infrastructure out there. What we've seen is some of these environments, when they initially get built, they have default passwords or they have default um, attack surface that's left open. Um, And there's a good example of an organization that they built their entire company uh, on AWS. Somebody took it over and deleted the entire company's IP. Um, That's a huge risk. They put the company out of business. You know, they had to start over, no backups. Um, So then you start to ask the question, do I really want to go to cloud? The answer is probably yes, because of the huge advantages, um, but you have to be very careful about the way that you go to the cloud or the way that you develop these assets. We see uh, organizations all the time will do things like, well, my firewall's got a problem, so I'll call my firewall vendor. Firewall vendor will have them open a port so that the vendor can help them, and then they'll leave it, they'll forget to shut it, right? So that port's open, and now I have direct access into a database or something like that. So, this kind of ever vigilant idea means you need to have continuous monitoring of your entire environment. Look at all of your infrastructure assets. Look at all of your web assets. Anything you have IP on needs to be something that you really care about.
0: Yes, yes. Now, when individuals and entities across NGI do social networking or they have some kind of web presence, they naturally need to use web applications. I mean, that is... uh, goes without saying that there is a need for web application. Now, these applications are either developed in-house or downloaded for free or purchased and deployed from any external vendor. Now, irrespective of the origin or source of web application, users, that is individuals, or it could be entities across NGIA, they need to be prepared to face the security challenges that come with the application vulnerabilities. Now, there are many individuals and even some entities who think that they have they
1: are secure because they have a firewall. Are they? <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, my 16-year-old walks around with a T-shirt that says, your firewall is a speed bump. Um, and that's the that's reality, right? You're just going to slow me down. I've got to figure out how to get around that. If you talk to any of the big industry pen testers out there, uh, they'll tell you, the first thing I do is go look to see what kind of firewall you have because it's probably got vulnerabilities also. Um, and things that allow for me to get past. So, understanding that a firewall is a step um, is a really great idea, but what we tend to do uh, in information security is build multiple perimeters. Um, if your web application is outside of your firewall, that firewall doesn't help you at all. Um, So then what you need to do is start to firewall that app off with either a web application firewall or use uh, one of the cloud provider firewalls to sit in front of the application and protect it. But that's, again, just another step. We can bypass those things as well. Um, So the basic premise in information security is make it hard and just keep making it harder. Um, I like to tell people that, you know, if you go to the amusement park, they won't let you on a roller coaster unless you're this tall, right? Um, In information security, I want you to be this tall to break into my environment, right? You got to be this tall to ride the ride. And then what's going to happen is tomorrow, you're going to need to be a little bit taller. And that's what we need to keep doing develop toward um, your expertise is going to be overwhelmed by my expertise. And we just keep fighting it that way.
0: That, that's a good example. That's a good way of putting it. Now, there is also a misconception that SSL, that is secure socket layer, will protect users in respect individuals, your entities. Now, can SSL provide protection when it comes to web applications?
1: Yeah, so um, Qualys developed a tool that is the, the top-of-the-line tool everybody uses for SSL management. And if you go out and look at the page at SSLLabs.com, Uh, you can put any URL in there and have it tested. And it gives you back a letter grade for not only uh, the certificate that's installed on there, but how it's implemented. Can I bypass? So we attempt a few bypasses. We look at how uh, the SSL implementation was built because there are a lot of things that you can do where you just forget and check a box or set a configuration file that will diminish the security that SSL is providing you um, and allow for, you know, really terrible things. Open SSL uh, has had a lot of vulnerabilities in it. It's the most deployed SSL platform. um, And we're seeing more and more people take advantage of those things. So if you're worried about your bank's website, your hospital that you're logging into, whatever that thing might be, go to SSL Labs and test the server. If it gets an A, uh, it's probably implemented well. If it gets an F, you may want to call them.
0: What, what What is the name of that website or uh, where people can go and check out their uh, website?
1: It's SSLLabs.com. <S-Labs. <S-Labs.com>.
0: That's good information. I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, there are reports that many individuals and entities across NGI depend only on antivirus solution for their application of security. Now, by using only an antivirus solution or the failure to encrypt critical individual or collective data, or any other vital information, doesn't it send an open invitation to hackers to take advantage of the security gaps?
1: Yeah, so antivirus, um, you know, there's a lot of us in the industry that will argue that it's not useful. Um, and the reason why is uh, it's basically herd immunity. Uh, if you get attacked by some new variant of a virus, uh, eventually that'll get back to the antivirus company and I'll benefit from it. But you don't. Right. And we've all sort of bought into this idea that, well, that's okay. Maybe I won't be the one. Um, but in reality, all of these signature based antivirus tools, uh, have huge holes in them, right? They're signature based. If I can get around the signature, then it all works. Um, and if you talk to any of the leading penetration testing organizations, they'll tell you, yeah, first thing we do is find out what AV you're running and then we develop malware that goes around it. Um, so it's a good idea for the things that we already know about uh, it will keep them out but it is not uh, the thing that's going to keep out the latest and greatest
0: that is true, that is true. now there are also reports that polymorphic malware are difficult to detect with anti malware programs how should individuals and entities you know manage constantly evolving risk of the polymorphism specific to viruses nowadays it looks very difficult
1: it is, um, and I don't think enough of the antivirus companies are doing heuristic or behavioral studies of malware. Um, you know, malware all does the same thing. It installs, it tries to call home, uh, it does it in different timing, but they all sort of do the same thing. We developed a website, malware detection tool, that when you visit the site, what we've done is we take a really vulnerable machine and go visit your website. If all of a sudden ram spikes and disk starts being used and all these files writes start happening uh it's obvious right you have some piece of malware on this site uh at that point does it matter if i fingerprint it and tell you exactly what that piece of malware is probably not right you just need to get rid of it (laughs) um and the antivirus companies tend to focus on well what variant is it who wrote this and they they try to get a lot of Extra data around it, and realistically, what they need to do is write the signature and move on, right? Um, so that way, we can protect everybody uh, as much as possible. Something else that really helps is understanding the validity of the sites that you go to. Uh, if you get an email from FedEx that says your FedEx package is, uh, you know, trapped, please click this link. Go to fedex.com. Don't click the link. Right?
0: That is true. <laughs> that is a good piece of advice. A lot of people <laughs> love to, you know, just click on those, you know, links and to make it easier, but it's always good to go to the website. You are right about that. Right. Now, it is also believed that many individuals and entities across NGO do not understand the value of their critical assets or what they should be protecting or what creates cybersecurity risk or vulnerabilities to cyber attacks, nor do they understand the profile or sophistication of potential attackers. Now, application security risk are not only, not just brought by technology alone, what other factors play an important role in application security risk and vulnerabilities?
1: Just, yeah,
0: just one aspect of
1: it. It's, yeah, it's, it's very much just a small aspect, detection and stuff. What I would recommend or what I think needs to change is there needs to be a fundamental shift in education. When we're teaching developers, we don't need to just teach them how computers function. We need to teach them how bad guys break their code. Um, and so I do a lot of classes where I teach QA type, um, techniques. So that's just completely quality assurance techniques, but they're all geared towards security. Um, and if you can get your development staff to start to look at things that way, I need to be secure. What are the secure things I need to do? Build a few champions inside of there, change our education system a little bit. Um, we could get it so that the developers aren't pushing out so much bad code. Um, there are a couple of organizations that are attempting to uh, create what we would call cleanup classes or um, data flow classes where when a user types something into a website, uh, I will use this code to analyze what they typed in. So if it's an address field, it's not going to be very long. Uh, it's going to have numbers and letters. So I know that. Um, if in the address field I see you start throwing a bunch of symbols at me, that means you're trying to break into the application. So some of this instrumented stuff we call a RASP uh, sits in there and says, well, what is this that you're handing me? This doesn't look right. And it will clean it up before it sends it back into the back end. Um, and that makes things a little bit safer. It only works for certain things. Web application firewalls, same thing, right? It's layers. We've got to have lots of layers. Um, But it really starts with we need to kind of gut the education system for anybody that's doing computer science that wants to develop um, and understand there are security implications to everything that they write.
0: Absolutely. And now even like three-year-olds are using computers. So I think this kind of education as you are talking about, it should start right from the elementary school. It is, I think, the need of the time, and we cannot just go around it. Now, the human factor is said to be the weakest link in the security equation. The human factor plays such an important role in how, you know, information security or application security or any kind of, you know, security defenses work. So what role human factor would play in the application security equation, you know, to make it very effective from your perspective?
1: Yeah, so, you know, people always say the humans on the network are the problem. And I'd like for you to flip that around and say the humans on the network can be the solution. Um, We just need to empower them, right? You've got bright, beautiful, terrific people that are running around in your company. Uh, All you need to do is get them to be on your side. Now, that takes a little bit of sway, um, and it takes some education. You know, I've seen uh, good education programs for things like phishing, where if you click the link, it'll play a video that says don't click links, you know. There's really small education things that you can do, and there's great big education things that you can do. I've seen organizations that'll have a month where they focus on security, uh, and they'll you know reward people for asking the person behind them to see their badge before they tailgate through a door or something. Um, These are the kinds of things that are going to shift the way uh, attackers are going to have to come at us, because right now the assumption is naive end user, right? That doesn't understand security and has no knowledge of what it is that they're trying to do. I would rather it be, uh, you know, I phone up the help desk and they say, no, I can't help you with that problem until, you know, 10 things have happened. Um, You can't just force me into this, right? Um, Because that's the help desk is where a lot of problems happen. But just regular end users in the environment uh, can be brought around to really shore up the security of your organization. Believe in them, and they'll come around to it. It's yes,
0: true. Now there's also this another trend that we have seen over the years, where corporations or businesses they don't want to issue their own mobile devices or their own equipment for their you know employee or contractor use. So, what impact bring your own device? Do you think has on application security?
1: Yeah, so that's uh, you know that's been one of those things that I really really enjoyed uh, talking about and and working with organizations on. When you have a BYOD program, it means anything can walk into the door to your network. Um, all of our uh, thoughts and understanding on protecting our assets just go right out the window when, you know, anybody can bring anything. Um, so there's some great little policy things that you can do. If you're a Google shop, you can turn on all their MDM solution and make it so that it basically containerizes all of the corporate assets into one spot in that device. If you leave the company, it just deletes and goes away. It doesn't hurt your device. You just lose all your corporate stuff that you shouldn't have access to anymore anyway. Um, so those kinds of solutions enable that kind of technology. Um, but the, the thing that you have to really understand is you can't approach BYOD like, well, we're just going to save money by everybody bringing in their own iPad. Um, you're going to create more problems <laughs> if you don't have a good plan uh, and a good rollout idea going forward.
0: Absolutely, and then the corporation doesn't have a control over, you know, the security updates because you don't know what kind of updates each individual user, you know, is having on their phone or on their iPads. They may not be meeting at all, so you bring all those vulnerabilities to your corporation, but these are the decisions decision makers make, so uh, it's going to it's making the security perspective very complex. Now, cloud computing is also a widely adopted infrastructure and brings along with its own security threats. Right. Point attacks on critical data and applications are common with security breaches caused by cloud applications or cloud service usage. That's since more individuals and entities across and are currently using cloud. Cloud is becoming a top security concern, so how secure are cloud applications? and what steps can be taken to bring security to web applications in cloud?
1: Yeah, so um, the fundamental idea with cloud is it's just somebody else's computer. That's that's the thing that we all need to understand. So when it's somebody else's asset, control of that asset is something that we don't really have a lot of. Uh, so the first step in enabling a cloud program or coming up with an idea where you're going to be using cloud services is to simply vet that organization. If it's Amazon or Azure or Google, um, they do a lot of things for security. and They really want it to be a secure platform. I can argue that the platform in most cloud providers is way more secure than most enterprises out there have built um, because they don't want to go out of business, right? Their business is the security of your, your data. The problem then becomes... Well, it's just somebody else's computer that you then layer on your application. That application can have problems. Uh, so approaching a cloud environment is just simply a matter of, uh, do you understand the security posture of that environment? Do you understand what they're doing? And then when you start to put your things on there, you have to apply all the same techniques that you're using for any of your assets internally. So if you're building an application and you're enabling an API for a mobile app, You need to understand what's the connectivity look like, what's the average user look like, to understand what kind of data patterns you need to know. True,
0: very true. Now, security standards are a necessity. I mean, for digital globally, there is no other way to put it. It is a necessity. Now, hackers aren't only targeting entities across NGI. They're also threatening or targeting any, Any individual, across any nation, whichever, you know, nation it is, or any industry, any component. So how common are security standards across NGIO, that means nations, government, industries, organizations, and academia? Because unless we develop a global security standard that would, you know, enforce you know, parallel uh, deployment of you know that kind of security infrastructure or parallel you know the development of processes or uh, risk management processes or you know standards we are not going to be able to achieve security because everything is interconnected and interdependent now. So if even if one computer is secure but the other computers are not secure that are you know interconnected then we all are at risk. So
1: yeah. how Is there are there any standards? Oh, there's tons. Uh, You know, the great thing about having standards in in IT is if there's one, there's 50. Um, And so when we look at, you know, payment card industry, for instance, uh, they have something called PCI DSS, the data security standard. Um, We, you know, Qualys is a big part of that. We do a lot of uh, scanning and all sorts of things to ensure people are maintaining their PCI posture. Um, but breaches still occur against credit cards, even for companies that are PCI compliant. So then they want to step up their game a little bit and they maybe turn to a NIST standard or they turn to, um, you know, some other industry standard. If they're in banking, it's FFIEC, or, you know, I can name probably 50 different banking standards. What I like to do is look for the, organi- the organizations that are developing standards that are meaningful. Um, so anybody out there that wants to see a good good standard. Um, You want to look at Australia's DSD, the data security uh, department, I think they are. Um, The DSD, if you Google it, you'll see Australia DSD. It publishes a a list of about 20 things that you should do um, for security. And it tells you if you don't do the top four, don't bother doing the rest Um, because there are certain things that you have to do. Um, you know, you've got to take your default passwords off of all of your devices. Um, somebody will log in with that. Uh, there's, you know, real good information inside of there. And if you follow it line by line, um, you'll walk out of it with a much better security posture. But you got to remember, it's got to apply to every asset. If you miss one, that's the one they'll get in on. No, thank you for sharing
0: that. I'm sure you know that many our. Global viewers and listeners. Now there are also many entities who believe that ensuring compliance with the rules set up by any individual corporation is equivalent to protecting the company against hacker attacks. Because there is a, this perception that compliance is equal to risk management, and yeah. that is, I think, you know, a big challenge. You know, when you look at uh, the amount of resources that are put towards just the compliance and the amount of resources are there for actual risk management. It is mind-boggling. So, do you see that you know this is one of the you know issues that is impacting?
1: Yeah, and risk managers are always looking for that balance of uh, I'm complying, but I still have risks. How do I uh, you know apply techniques to get myself through that gap? Um, and realistically, what needs to happen is the standards need to just be your base layer. It needs to be the foundation that you build off of. Um, When I say you got to get taller every day in order to ride this ride, I mean that you got to set up your standards uh, as your baseline, and then start to find those things that really apply to your environment, or that are really risky for you. Uh, For instance, if you're a bank, protecting user authentication is one of those things that PCI is going to say you got to have a password standard, right? Yeah, that's true. You got to have a your password standard could be one character as long as it's a standard, right? Uh, then everything's fine. So you can comply and create risk. Um, so what you want to try to do is take that standard and say, all right, now what makes more sense, right? Maybe two-factor authentication. PCI. I don't think any standard requires two-factor auth today, um, but I want two-factor auth everywhere, and I want to be notified when I've, you know, fired off something that, uh, you know, on a device that I've never used before, and I want all of those things, right? Because that's going to create much more security. Does it create problems for the user? Nah, not if you do it right. Um, I've seen a lot of people do it wrong. Uh, You know, a a great example, this is an airline website that I use a lot. Recently said, here, we're going to give you, if you go to a new device, you're going to have to answer questions. And they came up with the questions and the answers. Um, That's not a good way to do that. (laughs) Uh, Because then people can guess them. Right. It's not completely random. It's not something made up in my head. It's in this list somewhere. I can just figure it out, um, and that's not what you want. So when you start to look at risk versus compliance, uh, you have to remember compliance doesn't remove the risk. It just makes it so that you can build on and take it out. Yes,
0: that is just the basic. You're absolutely right. Now, many the times the software or application developers are so eager to push applications to global private or public markets that, you know, they don't focus on security. They're focused more on functionality. So as a result, you know, security rarely gets effectively incorporated in the architecture phase. And uh, with time, the number of major breaches that comes through the application layer keeps increasing because whenever the applications are designed, I mean, mostly the security is not given, you know, priority at the design phase. So, do you see a need for increased focus on security first architecture right at the planning
1: stage? Yeah, and there's uh, there's actually, in large enterprise, we're starting to see a software security architect uh, role come out of, they either come out of development or they come out of the pen testing organization, somebody that was prior developer. Um, again, these people are, uh, we, we refer to them as purple squirrels, right? They're rare. You can't find them. Uh, <laughs> But it's, but it's definitely one of those things that we need to develop more of. Somebody needs to sit down at the requirements phase and say, authentication should work this way. The back end should look like this. That API should work in this in this manner. Um, you know, in my research, I do a lot of research. I speak uh, all over the place, uh, and I do research and, and talk on the topics. And right now I'm doing research on web attacks against IoT. Uh, and I'm finding things like, I can open my garage door from my laptop uh, when I'm supposed to be using an app, um, that's not great, right? Um, and I'm also seeing things like uh, research that other people are doing in IoT for you know doing things like popping light bulbs and and things like that, making the light bulbs explode because they're turning them on and off quickly. There's a lot of danger inside of this, right? Developers need to have that understanding, and they need to have somebody sitting there saying, "No, don't do it that way." Uh, you know, this is the consequence of that, and show them the breaches. Show them how getting through their software uh, is going to be trivial. Once they see that and have an understanding, uh, they'll figure out ways to, um, you know, avoid those kinds of situations.
0: Yes, yes. Now, if you are that part where you know the term that you use, if you have to, you know, guide someone you know who's just starting to design or, you know, plan the application, what would you tell them that should be the foundation of application security? Well, what would that security rely on? What would you guide them? How would you guide them?
1: It comes down to trust. Um, what ends up happening is developers trust that the end user is only going to provide them with accurate input for their needs. Um, and so when I ask you for your password, I expect you to type in this you know, sort of character set. Uh, But what ends up happening is um, we attack the application by seeing what did you do to put bounds around that? Um, So you're implicitly trusting what I hand you and you should trust nothing that I hand you. Um, If you're giving me a session token, know that I'm going to replay it, reuse it, move it around, change it um, because I want to see what's the behavior on the other side. Maybe I can expose an error message that gives me something else. Um, application security is all about sending in wacky input, getting some kind of page back and then interpreting what that means. Um, that interpretation is the piece that is missing in the education for most folks. So if you're starting out in this, you pick up some books, right? If you type web application security into Amazon, you're going to get a bunch of books, um, that'll fire back at you. Um, many of them are written by great researchers that work for, you know, really amazing companies. Some of them are just guys that are, uh, you know, really curious about things and, and, and they end up breaking stuff. But in all cases, um, I always pick up some nugget, some great thing that, uh, you know, advances either my application security ability um, or um, gives me insight as to how a framework works or something like that. Yes, yes.
0: Now, let's say, you know, the, the team goes through all the guidelines that you just, you know, talked about uh, and they followed all the steps. Now, even if an application, web application, was built with security in mind, what would be the impact of network vulnerabilities?
1: Yeah. So now I'm, um, you know, applications are layered on a stack, right? Servers are built to do something. You build it, you put an application stack on top of it, and now you've got an application server. Uh, there are two places to attack. Actually, there's three places to attack an application server. I can attack your code directly, uh, I can attack the application serving layer, the Apache or IIS server, um, and then I can attack the underlying operating system. Um, and if you've left a bunch of holes in that, you left Telnet open or something like that, I can just get in onto the network box and I win. Um, and that's the case for breaches uh, usually from insiders. Right? They understand the architecture better than anybody else and they can um, you know, get onto the server and, and walk away from it. So what we recommend to our, our, the organizations that uh, we've partnered up with or that are customers of ours is continuous monitoring. You have to always look, see, did a port open that I didn't know about yesterday? Um, and if it did, I need it to alert me. I need my systems to tell me, say, hey, this thing all of a sudden is vulnerable and it wasn't yesterday. Um, and so we've been building tools along that ilk for quite some time now. Um, and it allows for us to uh, empower our customers to know uh, that server is secure, as secure as I can make it, right now. And if anything changes, I get alerted to it, um, so that way I can go fix those things.
0: Good. Now, what role host security plays in application
1: security? What role does what security?
0: Host host security. Oh,
1: security. Um, yeah. So it has to be patched. It has to be. You know, all of the things that you expect um, need to be there, um, and all of the the methodologies that you use for any aspect of security need to be put in place. So same thing, continuous monitoring, looking at all the pieces uh, and understanding where um, the vulnerabilities may lie.
0: Now, as entities analyze, individuals and entities, they analyze their, their infrastructure and applications, they identify the potential threats and vulnerabilities. Now, each threat presents a degree of risk, and security is all about risk management, and implementing effective you know, management procedures count uh, you know, mitigation process, processes and procedures. Uh, do you know the risk management strategies? Now, what approach do entities have for web application risk management?
1: Yeah, and that's been, a, that's been probably the biggest challenge that uh, we've been trying to overcome with a lot of our clients. Um, I have about 3,100 clients that use my application security tools uh, in their environments. And the one thing that they constantly want to know is what's the first thing I got to fix, right? Um, They're trying to do risk management through understanding where their vulnerabilities are and getting rid of them. Um, And that is an approach. But if you step away from your environment a little bit and look at the risk posture of the entire environment, things change a little bit. Um, What happens is, and we don't do this enough, Uh, is an organization that will threat model their applications, that will look and say, if there was a breach here, what would happen? What would be the end result? standard risk management process, um, but applied a little bit differently in that they look at the application and say, all right, the threat is there's a database on the back end that has a bunch of user accounts in it. That's something I need to really focus on and protect. If the threat is, you know, you can throw a whole bunch of XML at this thing and maybe run the disk over and it'll stop, uh, that's an easy risk to manage, right? We can just control the amount of uh, data that you can throw at me. Um, And so once you've done the threat modeling, the risk management just comes into play, you know, sort of naturally all by itself. But not enough organizations threat model their applications. Remember I said that that software architect guy is a purple squirrel, right? Um, we've got to try to figure out a way that we can start to threat model and approach these things in a more pragmatic uh, and kind of a a manner that will scale out better.
0: Yes, very true. Now, the bad applications are not just, you know, you find them on computers or, you know, they're also on tablets, they're also on mobile phones. So how can mobile application security be achieved or enhanced? I mean, is there anything different that we have to, you know, for parameters that we have to focus on
1: other than, you know, the web applications. Yeah, and that's that's an astute observation. It's one of those things that people don't really think about is they just download the app and put it on their phone. Uh, I worked with a a government in Asia that had just developed an application um, to do proxy voting. So they wanted all of their investors to vote on the next board of directors or whatever it was. Um, they asked me to do some analysis on the app. And I looked at it, and I said, well, this is an interesting application because it does what you say, you know, submits votes to the server. But one of the side things that it does is it copies all the contacts on the phone and sends them to this other server that's in China. Um, And that's a result of somebody borrowed a library, somebody copied some code, probably didn't even realize that this is going on, Um, Or if they did, then, you know, this is really an attack that we need to, to start to look at. But losing all of your contacts is kind of bad. You probably don't want that to happen. But remember, that's just a disc read, just like reading all of your pictures, right? Pictures of your children going to China is probably not something that you want. And so we all take a look at these mobile apps and we look at them from the aspect of, well, they enable me to, you know, find Pokemons or whatever, Um, But the reality of it is I'm being tracked, I'm being watched, I have uh, audio channels that are opening up and recording conversations. Mobile applications make it worse. And so there isn't a really good way to measure the security of mobile apps. Um, We've developed some tools, and there's organizations that have developed tools uh, to look at this thing. Um, But I don't think that there's enough knowledge uh, in the user environments that are out there. I've seen applications that have 10 million downloads that install malware on your phone. You know that means 10 million people have this malware running on their phone, um, and they wouldn't download it if their phone would tell them it had malware. Right? Uh, they wouldn't install it if we would just put a little bit of uh, security in place for these things. But it's not in anybody's interest to do that.
0: That is very true. It's, uh, there is not much money in that, right? So people don't focus on that. But you are absolutely right that that. Is uh, something that we have to be very concerned about because it's impacting security of you know each and every individual. Now, vulnerability scanners, more specifically, if we say web application scanners, also known as penetration testing tools, or you know you can say white uh, hackers, ethical hacking tools, uh, or any term that we use, they have been historically used to automate the security testing of you know different requests or responses by entities across NGIA. Now, do you think these penetration tools are effective in identifying the security vulnerabilities in web applications?
1: Yeah, so writing a web app scanner is what I do at Qualys. Um, so uh, obviously I believe in them. Um, so I've got uh, about, I said, 3,100 organizations that use my tool. We protect 130,000 applications, uh, and that number just grows year on year. Um, if you have 10 applications in your environment, realistically, you can have one pen tester and they'll be able to handle that. In fact, the throughput of a pen tester is about 40 applications a year. That's one assessment each year on each app. Vulnerabilities are found daily. So the problem or the, the solution that uh, web scanners bring you is I can check for all these new things constantly. And if you're using an organization that writes this tool as an enterprise-grade professional tool, uh, it's not something that you threw together or downloaded, there's a research team behind that, right? I've got an entire research team that all they do all day is figure out ways to break frameworks and stick that into the tool so that way we can, you know, put tests in for those sorts of things. Um, Mm -hmm. We are constantly looking at this. An example is um, if I look at the same time period last year till now, We've added 200 new capabilities into the tool over that time frame. That means, over the time frame, if you've been using that tool, you had you would have received 200 new ways to test things and do things. Um, those kinds of numbers and that kind of scale is only achievable through automation. Um, you can't sit down. Well, you can. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a really simple math problem. If you have 10,000 applications, I've got a financial organization that's got 10,000 apps. You know, divided by forty, and that's how many pen testers you need to go higher. Uh, keep in mind, there's about a thousand of them on the planet, <laughs> so um, you know you're never going to get to the right place.
0: That is true. That is true. There is a lot of you know resources required. And now it is reported that, especially for the financial industry, banking and financial corporations, that they've been the very early adopter for the automated tools associated with application vulnerability detection, and it is uh, commonly held within the financial firms that both black box testing and white box testing tools are needed in the pursuit of application security. How often these uh, tools are used, the black box testing tools and white box? Is it like daily, weekly, monthly? What is the frequency?
1: So um, just to to throw a little clarity, black box testing is uh, I fire this tool at it, right? So that's a web scanner, basically. Um, White box testing means I know a lot about this app, I probably have its source code. Um, What I recommend to anybody is that these tools be used as part of the development lifecycle because that puts it in the right pace. Uh, As you write code, you should be testing your code. Uh, As you QA code, you should be doing security testing on your code. It does a couple of things. Um, It allows you to find the vulnerabilities at the time of creation. So it trains your developers to understand, hey, I can't use this library anymore. It's causing a problem. But the other thing that it it really does is it decreases the cost to repair the vulnerability. Um, If you look at the latest report that IBM and Ponymon did, um, once you get all the way out to production, it costs about 14 times more to fix something than if you fix it right at the time that you put it together. Um, so if you're using a value center to do development, if you're developing in uh, you know, India, China, wherever, um, that organization is going to be putting code together. You're saving money by using uh, you know, folks in a different part of the world, and then it's costing you 14 times more to have the problem go into production. Um, so realistically, the cost savings is all written out. Um, injecting these tools, both white box and black box testing uh, early uh, and using them persistently um, is going to get you really far in this, in this problem. It's also going to drive the cost out of your uh, vulnerability repair, right, your, your, the things that you need to fix, um, remediation. But it's not going to um, provide you with additional throughput. Right? You're not going to get any more code out because of this. You're just going to have more secure code, and it's going to eventually be cheaper for you. The pace should go lockstep with your development pace, whatever that is. If you're releasing every 30 days, you should be testing every 30 days. It doesn't make any sense to uh, go outside of that because you're not going to be fixing anything inside that pace anyway. Yes, good
0: point, good point. Now, tools and training are important and necessary for application security, but improved application security will also require deeper organizational changes like changes in values, accountability, responsibility at all levels. How are entities across NGI looking to achieve that? Because, you know, it's not like we get some tools, we do some kind of testing and we are going to have application security. It requires a lot of changes because there are a lot of risk variables involved here. So how are entities, you know, approaching that or are they approaching it?
1: Yeah, so we're seeing more and more uptake in education. Um, Some of the guys that I know that that do education for development organizations um, are seeing an uptick in requests, right? Uh, They're all busy and don't have enough time to go on vacation and stuff. Uh, That's how you know you're succeeding. Um, But the reality of it is uh, it is something that has to be affected across a broad spectrum. Uh, your users should understand it. Your developers should understand it. Anybody in the organization uh, should understand that. The application causes a new kind of problem if If you back away from this uh, idea of cybering and web and all that and think about how you deal with an organization today and turn that into a physical manifestation. Uh, You know, I would be going to some warehouse somewhere that says Amazon on the outside of it, and I would be taking things, you know, and buying them, just like we used to. We don't do that anymore. We send a web signal in, and and suddenly the stuff shows up at our house. Um, We're dealing with organizations in such a new way that we need to have a big shift in how we understand how we deal with them.
0: Education is the key here. Now, let's talk about the application procurement process, because there are a lot of application where you know IT security is not consistently engaged in procuring or and contracting for new applications. And that I think it plays an important, you know, uh vulnerability here because if if the procurement process doesn't have the security component embedded into that, then you know there are a lot of vulnerabilities that we are inviting into the organization.
1: Right. And to this, I say uh, quite simply: you got to beat them up with contract language. Um, there are a couple of healthcare companies out there that are notorious for, if you report a vulnerability to them, they just tell you they don't care. Um, if you have it in your contract that you won't give them any more money until they fix it, uh, then it becomes one of those things where they do suddenly care. Um, and so, you you really have to have that procurement process. Uh, including security, especially if you're buying a service. Almost everybody in the planet now uses ADP to pay their employees. Um, that's a service, you log into that. Um, HR is all run out of you know Taleo, or one of these uh, applications um, that you can go out and buy. Salesforce.com is managing customer relationships for more organizations than anyone else. These are all things that you purchase. I've got plenty of pen tester friends that have great stories about making themselves the CEO and giving themselves a million dollar raise and you know all that stuff. During the testing phase of in taking in these applications, um, you have to include your security folks, right? A web app is a web app. Whether you wrote it or bought it, you still have to test it. Very
0: true. Now, this is a very simple question that I'm going to ask, but uh, you know it has a huge implications I know individuals don't you know have any idea about how many applications they have on their you know and uh, equipment like cell phones or their tablets or computers, but do entities ever take an inventory of all the applications they have developed or possessed
1: yeah, so we talked about standards a little while ago, and almost every standard out there starts with know what you have right you can't lock the door if you don't know you have a door um and so we always say uh, you need to have a good inventory. Now, I've walked into I don't know probably a thousand of the customers of mine that are you know that are that are big and trying to to wrestle things like that. And I would say it's a very small percentage that have an accurate count. Um, almost everybody else will say I have some unknown number of applications. I don't know what it is. I don't know where they are. Can you help me find them? Um, and you know the answer is yes there, but the reality of it is, having that inventory is crazy important. I mean, what if you found a problem with it? Who do you go call? I mean, just those basic things are, uh, are kind of missing. And that's the reason why I brought up the DSD, line one, know what you have, right? If you, if you haven't done line one, don't do line two. Um, go get an inventory and figure this out. Now
0: there's a growing belief that a holistic approach to security that covers multiple layers. Sorry about that. Including the network, host, and application is required to achieve the goal of hack-resilient applications on all platforms. Do you see the need for this holistic approach?
1: Yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, technology hasn't solved this problem. We haven't solved this problem with, uh, you know, 20 years of pen testing like we we definitely need to look at this from the perspective of uh, education tools techniques I mean it's just all put together um, and it needs to be something that's pushed out from the top the successful organizations that have good security programs have a culture of security built by their CEO
0: yes no while security is fundamentally based on people and processes, there are a number of technical solutions to consider when designing, building, and testing secure web applications. What technical solutions would you recommend to global viewers and listeners?
1: Yeah, so you've got to take a look at the code that you're writing. So a static analysis approach is a way to go. Um, once it's up and instrumented and functioning, a dynamic analysis is what you need. Um, so static analysis is that, that crystal box testing or, or, you know, however you want to say it, white box. Um, black box testing or, or web scanning, once it's up and functioning, is a, another piece of that. Um, and then as you move down the line, you have to have humans check these things. Uh, web scanners and uh, static analysis or binary analysis, uh, scanning of the code, Um, is only going to get you to the point where you see things like, well, this data is not being controlled. Um, But what about logic flaws? What about doing things out of order, right? That's where a penetration tester comes in uh, and gives you much better coverage and and better understanding. So as you move through the phases, you're going to go through these sorts of things, static analysis, dynamic analysis. You have a pen tester on there. Um, And then it's going to go into perpetual analysis where you're running a dynamic analyzer on it every week. You've got a pen tester coming in quarterly or something like that. Or you have a security team that's doing analysis on it. And then the final piece is watching it, um, instrumenting it with either uh, some kind of IPS, an intrusion prevention device or an intrusion detection device, um, or putting a web app firewall in front of it. Uh, instrumenting even just the logs with Splunk and developing alerting on that uh, is going to be that watching phase, right? Where we're seeing, are people actively attacking me? And if they are, is it working? Um, and I think that that is one of those phases that just no one does. They put the technology in place and then they never look at it again. And the humans are a big part of the technology, right? People process technology. We all like to beat that drum and say it. Uh, but sometimes we forget that once we have the technology, we still have the people <laughs> we need to
0: have hopefully you know maybe in the uh, in next 20-30 years the human factor will slowly start coming down whereas we have more <clears throat> robots and sorry I think I'm coming down with something so <laughs> with artificial intelligence we would see changes but at this point yes humans plays a very important role now let me ask you this what is the one thing you would like to change when it comes to application security
1: The one thing. Um, (laughs) I got to pick one, eh? Um, I think that it probably would have to do with educating developers. I think that 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 change needs to be something that would cause, you know, if we were to do that, it would have the greatest effect. Um, There needs to be a mindset within developers that the code that they're writing causes problems. Now let's figure out the solutions. Um, And once we get to a phase where, um, you know, when Word first started underlining the thing that you misspelled, um, we all started spelling differently, right? Or we started using that as our spell checker. Um, we don't have a good development environment idea like that. What I would love to see is uh, the IDEs that are out there, the the development environments that are integrated um, for .NET and Java and those sorts of things. I'd love to see that when they ask for an input, put a little underline under it and say, what are you gonna do to clean this input up? Um, That would cause, you know, probably the greatest effect uh, into application security today. Absolutely,
0: Absolutely. now would you like to share information about policies, products, and services that would help our global viewers and listeners with reference to application security?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, we've been known for a long time as a scanning solution that can look for vulnerabilities in infrastructure Uh, About six years ago, we started doing web application security as well. We have a web application firewall. Um, Large research team. uh, We have about 650 employees at this point uh, spread all over the world, um, and most of them are engaged in engineering in some way. Uh, Everybody on my team can do web security techniques. Uh, There isn't anyone that works for me that can't do cross-site scripting, uh, proof of concepts, or uh, things like that. Um, and so I really believe that uh, everybody needs to be invested, invested in um, the idea of security that, that works at our organization, and that's true. Everybody is that way. One of the great things about us, besides our, our amazing people that we have, um, is the technology that we put out really enables organizations to rein this problem in. Uh, whether it be application security, we can cover all of your apps. I haven't met an organization that has more apps than I can scan, um, but we can also give you great contextual data around our findings. For instance, uh, on the nineteenth of September, just a few days ago, there was a new WordPress uh, plugin vulnerability that came out. We have a, a feed that sent alerts to all of our customers to say, "Go look for this thing." Um, and if you if you find it, here's the solution to fix it. We have a nice, big long research document on, how it works, what the problems are, how to get rid of it, all that kind of thing. Um, That gives you that contextual go-fix-it-now thing that I think is missing. You know, everybody needs to patch, and we all know that. We all have systems to make that work. Um, But all of these other little things, you know, check this configuration setting, go look for this thing, um, those need to be kind of thrown in your face, and that's what we've learned over the years is, Uh, we need to have good alerting for that. So our continuous monitoring solution looks for ports that open that shouldn't be. Our threat protect solution tells you all about the things that are out there. Um, We've just recently released an agent that allows for you to gather really deep intelligence on uh, any device that you have in your environment, no matter where it is, no matter how it's deployed. Um, So if Lenovo sends out a flash alert that says, hey, this firmware version needs to be updated on these kinds of devices, You can just search your inventory, find those things, and go get it fixed. Um, So moving toward resolution is what our company is all about. Um, We take our great people, we apply it into our technology, and enable our customers to solve these problems on a daily basis.
0: Great. That's good.
1: Sorry about that. That's good
0: information. So thank you, Jason, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on web application security. Our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the guidelines you provided on securing the web application. And even if a single individual or entity is able to prevent a cyber breach based on the discussions we had today, this risk-round-up dialog has been of service. We thank you for that.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been really fun.
0: Wonderful, Jason. So now individuals and entities across NGIOA are deploying new web applications faster than ever. Given the increasing vulnerability to web application security and the speed at which the web application ecosystem is evolving and how much risk it, it can bring to individuals and entities across NGIOA, it is becoming a cause of great concern. Risk group cybersecurity risk is the center and strategic security risk is the center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CGS and discuss debate and define necessary frameworks, structure, processes, tools and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also of the coming technological superconvergence. We at risk group believe that risk management, security and peace walk together hand in hand, though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict. Risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so, if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundup, to watch the Risk Roundup videos or hear the Risk podcast, please go to riskfulpilacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jay Pandya, host of Risk signing off. See you next time.